You're listening to Splendor Chaps, recorded live at the Bella Union at Trades Hall in Melbourne, 2017. This is the first episode of our spin-off mini-series. In part one, we're going outside the government and beyond the police, whatever that means, to talk Torchwood. Right now is when everything changes. And Splendid Chaps are ready with a whole universe of adventure right here on the doorstep. They're in a class of their own, both of them. Please welcome your hosts, Ben McKenzie and John Richards. Hi. Hello, everyone. It's been four years. How have you been? It's hard to know what to say, really. It's like a family gathering where you vaguely remember everyone who's there. And one thing we always like to do on this highly visual audio podcast is uh, mm. what we like to call rubbish cosplay. Yes. Yeah. So let, yes. let's start. What, what, what have you come as tonight, Patrick? Oh, Gwen, maybe? Is a leather jacket on. <laughs> Got my leather jacket. I've got to say, if you want to do cosplay, Gwen is the easiest yeah. cosplay <laughs> in the world. She's yeah. a leather jacket, maybe a blue top if you really want to push the boat out. That's yeah. about all. Yeah, and John, yeah. You, yours is quite spectacular, actually. Well, I, I originally was going to come as Gwen and realised I didn't quite have the right jacket. So instead, oh. I came as Ianto, uh, which I looked at the pictures on Google Images when I have all these clothes and I wear them to work. So I've just come dressed for work. Uh, but, you... but also a cup of tea, because as far as I remember, for, he spent two seasons just making tea. Yeah. And, and, doing, and delivering pizza. Yeah, I, he, and crying a lot. Did he drive an Uber? I just feel like he was, yeah. He must have, I don't know. And, and yourself? Well, I, I, look, I found it hard to choose between um, my two favourite shows we're going to discuss today, so I just came as um, any one of the students from Coal Hill Academy or the school that the kids in Sarah Jane go to. Because I noticed they all do this weird thing with their ties. So I've done the weird thing with my tie. And you I don't you know. look the right age to play a BBC teenager too. <laughs> I, I am actually going to be on the next season of Class. Um, I'll be playing the, the, new, uh, the new exchange students. We need to basically tell you what today's show's about. So, uh, so Petra, true. can you throw the fast return switch and tell us what we're talking about today? Spin-offs. To quote Troy McClure, is there any word more thrilling to the human soul? The very first TV spin-off appears to be 1955's The Adventures of Champion, which sprang from the Gene Autry show. Gene Autry was a TV cowboy and Champion was a TV horse. And also a real horse. Spooky. The show lasted for a year. The history of Doctor Who is littered with the corpses of spin-offs that never made it. The first spin-off suggestion came from the first Doctor himself, William Hartnell, who in 1964 pitched the son of Doctor Who. In a later interview, he said, The idea was for me to have a wicked son. We would both look alike, each have a TARDIS and travel in outer space. In actual fact, it would have meant that I had to play a dual role where I met my son. But the idea was not taken up by the BBC, so I dropped it. Bullet dodged. Some decades later, Children's Channel CBBC suggested a young Doctor Who series which made Russell T Davies shout, Look, a dog with a fluffy tail, until everyone forgot about it. 
Also, in the 1960s, Terry Nation tried to excite American television with The Destroyers, a series based around the Daleks. It would feature Gene Marsh as Sarah Kingdom, but his selling point was the villains, which is a little odd. Villains that no one in the US had ever seen, which is a little odder. There is a rumour that talons of Wang Chiang's Jago and Lightfoot were considered for their own show in the 1970s, and Sarah Jane and K9 had a one off special in the 1980s, like either of those would ever get their own series. Canadian animation house Nelvana, most famous for the Boba Fett segment of the infamous Star Wars Holiday Special, tried to get an animated Who up at the end of the classic series, and Russell T Davies very nearly made Rose Tyler Earth Defense as a 90-minute special before cancelling the idea himself, calling it a spin-off too far. So, we're going to be talking about the three main series that did happen. Mm. Uh, so mostly it's, it's Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures and, and, class. and Class. And we're going to try and talk about them in our first half without referring to too much to their connections to Doctor Who. We want to give them a chance to shine on their own because when people talk about spin-off shows, they never talk about them in isolation or on their own merits. They're always fascinated by the show that they came from or the links that they have back to that. So we want to give those three shows in this first half a bit of their own chance and talk about them on their own merits. But of course, Ben, one man's Frasier is another man's Joni Loves Charchi. So... Let's meet the guests who will be helping to discuss those shows with us today. Petra? Our first splendid chap teaches screen studies at Melbourne University and is a prize-winning author whose academic articles include actors and their mythic heroes from The Doctor to Captain Kirk and exploring the reboots and retcons of Hercules at the recent Superhero Identity Symposium at Acme. Our second Splendid Chap has written over 100 books for children, most recently the smash hit multiple ending You Choose series, as well as a fourth Doctor short story for one of Big Finish's short trips collections. They're both old friends from Splendid Chap's past and no strangers to spin-offs. Please welcome Dr. Joymi Baker and George Ivanov. Joey, you've come in a, in a spectacular bit of cosplay. Can you explain who you're dressed as? I'm dressed as Barbara Smith, uh, the mother of Sarah Jane Smith, who appears in just one episode, The Temptation of Sarah Jane. This is, ama- this is, ama- is it amazing? It looks amazing. You're looking great. George, you're very specially dressed also. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about... I, I think. Did you wear this last time you were on the show? I did, actually. Any excuse to wear the TARDIS. You've basically. recycled. But yeah. I also have a vortex manipulator and a sonic yeah. screwdriver. <laughs> and, and a sonic pen and another sonic screwdriver. It's all right, George. Accessories and, count. And a Doctor Who bag full of spin-off DVDs. Because if nothing else, I'm the sort of person who shows up to an audio podcast with visual aids. <laughs> You're going to fit right in. Let's, let's start our adventure with the, the first of the spin-offs, Petra. Can you please tell us what that is? Torchwood, 2006 to 2011. The members of the Torchwood Institute, a secret organisation founded by the British Crown, fight to protect the Earth from extraterrestrial and supernatural threats. Spin-off elements include Captain Jack Harkness, the Torchwood Institute, and alien races including the Cybermen. Two series followed by a miniseries, then a fourth series made as an American co-production. 
to join me. Let's start with you. What's your what's your thoughts? What's your overview of Torchwood? Well, let's as we say we mentioned we were just going to look at them on their own. I think Captain Jack is a really good linchpin for a series. This idea of an immortal, different from the Doctor. But what I liked about Torchwood was those elements of going back and forward in his own timeline um, and the personal costs of that longevity um, that keep coming up. Those were kind of my favourite episodes, my favourite moments, is, is when we got glimpses into the, um, the burden of living so long um, as a character. And then we have Gwen, who's kind of the every woman who gets brought into that world. Um, so we get those that sort of playoff between the every woman that you could just suddenly find yourself in this strange predicament with this charismatic and gorgeous character who's lived a long time and of course well should he looking like that <laughs> and george your, your thoughts um, my thoughts on on torchwood are very divided i mean i love the show uh, i love uh some seasons more than others um but I, I always felt that one of the initial problems for me, and here's my controversial opinion, is Captain Jack. Because I loved him in Doctor Who. I thought he was great in Doctor Who and then they fiddled with the character for Torchwood. You know, they, seen, they made him tortured. <laughs> they made him darker. And um, I think that John Barrowman is, is a better comedic actor than he is a dramatic actor. Um, so I felt that was one of the, the downsides of Torchwood. I was say, it was a show that always struck me that they perhaps put Gwen and Jack in the wrong roles, that if Gwen had been running Torchwood mm. and Jack had been the slightly maverick offsider, the scientific advisor, if you will, then he, he could have been the character we had up to that point perhaps known who was much more flamboyant, much more fun, much more maverick, mavericky. Uh, I never thought of that possibility. That's actually kind of brilliant. Because it it did feel to me like the point of that character is as an anti-authority character and then they put him in a position of authority and I wasn't quite sure what the thinking was for that and certainly for me it it, it took some of the fun away. And I was thinking about today thinking actually it could have been quite interesting too if, if, you know, that Gwen had gone, okay, you're running this thing now. I don't want to run this thing. No one wants to run this thing. It's a terrible job. You're running this thing now. Like that could actually be a really great way of setting that up. Um, The other thing too was, uh, because yeah, I, I, I have trouble with issues. Um, Adam Richard mentioned on one of our podcasts that he feels that Torchwood was an adult show invented by a 15-year-old who thought that's what adult shows were like. Yeah. And... The sex alien episode. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I, the, the first time I watched that, the first thought that struck me was like, this is a Doctor Who fanboy in a darkened room going, I can put sex and naughty words in Doctor Who. Well, it's because I found this quote from Russell T. Davies before the show started, uh, talking about the time, because I was in a 9pm time slot. He said, we can be a bit more visceral, more violent and more sexual if we want to, but bear in mind that it's very teenage to indulge yourself in blood and gore and Torchwood is going to be smarter than that. I don't no. think that happened. Sorry, no. So they're not for that. I mean, the thing too it is that we were got there about, eventually. Well, we were Second saying, season, it got there, I think. Well, that's They've interesting. That thing. It's yeah. quite a changeable show, too. Mm. Like compared to everything else we're looking at, it feels like lots of different shows, really, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. once you get to the American sort of. Yeah, but we've always felt that was a really strength of other shows. Uh, but in Torchwood, you kind of it's several different shows within the same episode. Like I, I feel like you get tonal whiplash watching Torchwood because like, you know you watch an episode and they'll be they'll be you know playing basketball with each other. These sort of misfits who don't really quite belong in what is technically meant to be a secret 
non-governmental organisation, but then you've just got a bunch of idiots who are running it. Um, and then they'll be at the pub having a drink and cracking a few gags, and then all of a sudden there's some body horror. And then after that, it's like, uh, now you can have some weird science fiction concepts that we haven't thought about very much. It's just, it's all over the place. And a random sex scene, just to, you know. But is, yeah. but is that more a first series issue? Because it does smooth out. Mm. That's fair. In the second season. And the third season, which again, I know I've mentioned this before, I think the third season would be stronger if Torchwood wasn't in it. It's just, it doesn't feel like a Torchwood thing, really. Well, it's, it's just odd because it's a great plot. You've got a fantastic character in Frobisher played by Peter Capaldi. Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. And, Total hack. Yeah, and, and he's got interesting people around him, like the, the new uh, the woman who's, I've forgotten the character's name, but who's come to, you know, it's her first day in the job. And mm. yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. And I felt a lot of the time they were trying to create work for Torchwood. There's a little plot where uh, Captain Jack gets encased in concrete and spit out again, which actually doesn't contribute anything except giving them something to do. (laughs) Well, it is sort of Torchwood that isn't Torchwood because they'd, you know, killed off several characters before that season had started and then they killed another character during that season and then they blew up the Torchwood base. So it is kind of the Torchwood you have when you're not having a Torchwood. This might be a good moment to mention that there will be spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Torchwood, yeah, I mean, they, they went to all these pains to destroy what Torchwood had been before that. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, why is this even a Torchwood show? I mean, they did, I think they did make good use, as you were saying, Jeremy, of, of Captain Jack's immortality and his past, mm. that whole idea that he'd been previously involved in this horrible thing that the, um, you know, the British government had done by giving these children to these aliens. But at the same time, that's what you were saying, John, um, and, and also you, George, sort of, is that that that's completely changes his, like, background. Like, we always knew he was kind of dodgy and a bit of a con man, and now we find out that he's just done some really, truly awful stuff mm. that really changes how you think about him, I thought. It certainly made me feel very differently about the character. It's an interesting show that it's got very good characters, I think, but often not quite knowing what to do with mm. them. It is, it's a bit of a grab bag. Yeah. And yet, sorry, and yet it's my favourite Torchwood season. The, the third one. I mean, it's very oh, good. Yeah. It's very oh, good okay. television. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I was talking about the characters more in general in Torchwood. Mm. It's a sort of... It feels like there was a writer's room meeting where they went, OK, so we need someone who's a doctor. What's he going to be like? Um, he's basically going to be someone who sexually assaults people, which is where Owen's story begins. And you're like, how am I supposed to feel sympathetic for this character? Like, the first thing that we encounter him doing is using this drug to pick up women in a bar. Like, that's not OK. Yeah. And they sort of pull back from that and they kind of... they they basically pretend that never happened in order to redeem the character. But it's just a weird choice. And then alongside him, you've got Tosh and you've got Gwen and you've got Yanto who makes the tea. And you're never quite sure that they know what all those characters are doing in the first season. I I think it feels like a little bit of a checklist of how do we make it adult and gritty? Mm. And, you know, without necessarily thinking how that's going to play... It's just like, let's get the tone right. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, creepy and depressing? and <laughs> But also <laughs> goofy and weird. Yeah, 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 that's right, exactly right. Which is why, though, because Children of Earth, oddly, I think, I think does succeed. I think it does get that tone. Like, that is, that is genuine science fiction and it's saying something about... Actually, this is one of the questions I was going to ask you is about, you know, what do these shows on each of them tell us about the time we're made in? And there's a really interesting comment in Children of Earth that uh, the thing about school leagues tables was very big in England, um, which was basically all the schools were being ranked for how good they were as schools. And it was meant to be encouraging, you know, bad schools to be better. And Children of Earth has that line, they go, well, why do you think we have the tables? It's to work out which children are expendable. And it's probably the bleakest concept ever in, in 
so the, the 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 show that will not speak its name. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, but and that's kind of that is an interesting thing where there are issues of class, I think, being brought there. But what else is Torchwood telling us about the time we live in? I think the intro narration has a, has a couple of interesting things to say because they, they talk about how they're outside the government, beyond the police, um, and then they also talk about how the 21st century is when everything changes and you've got to be ready. And it is made, like, really right around the time that people were trying to figure out what's the 21st century going to be like. And, I mean, I know they're claiming that it changes because aliens are going to arrive, but they're also trying to say that this is a big shift in the way that the world is going to be and we need to be here. And you're like, what, five of you in Cardiff? <laughs> um, and apparently, yes, they're the ones that we need for this fundamental shift in the way human society is going to work. It is a show that's not keen on organisations, is it? Actually, now I think about it, about authority. Like, it's yeah. an it's a anti-authority show in a weirdly kind of anarchic kind of yeah. way. Well, season three, I mean, Children of Earth is, has, takes a very dim view of the government, mm. doesn't it? Very bleak view. Even, even um, Miracle Day. Like, the CIA is yep. full of people who are subverting the American government and the mm. American legal system. On the other hand, you've got this idea that um, governments and big organisations are to be mistrusted, but how do you fight them with a smaller organisation? So it's just sort of replacing one organisation with a different organisation, just ones who wear cooler clothes and who like more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and have no accountability for the massive <laughs> amount of alien technology they have access to. And they've also been around for hundreds of years. This show doesn't make any sense, actually, when I think about it. <laughs> it's what I was saying. It's a grab bag. They just had this idea, yeah, we'll get someone who was in that one episode of that other show, but we'll give her a different name and pretend she's a different character. And then, like, in the second season, we'll explain why that is in a really unsatisfying way. And you're like, what is going on with this show? But I think in terms of, like, reflecting culture, I think um, Miracle Day is, is really interesting because it's kind of trying to... Um, get that American English thing and that's why it seems so weird mm. um, often is because how do you tonally get that? How do mm. you reflect these very different cultures? Yes, they're existing in the same time, they are, they are connected, they're part of a global kind of culture but very different as well and I think that comes across in the show. Bigger guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it also it did, I mean, it felt, Miracle Day really feels like, again, like a bit of a different show. It feels mm. much more like an American production. Mm. I mean, the cast is almost entirely American with the, um, you know, exception of Gwen and um, Reese, And I think uh, Gwen's, par- Gwen's parents are in it for a while. And they're pretty much the only English people in the cast who, mm. who are significant. Everybody else is American, including like, you know, big names from other sci-fi shows. Mm. You're like, how? what are they doing here? And, and it does have American writers on it too, like Jane Espenson yeah. and people like that. So it's, it's funny that thing about voice is kind of... Mm. Torchwood probably is a show that never quite worked out what its voice was, mm. perhaps. Mm. Well, I mean, also, you have to try and sort of forget that it's a marketing exercise too, Miracle Day. You know, like to... I think they were, they were intending to launch um, BBC America as classy and cool through that through Miracle Day, that that was one of their um, deliberate uses of the show. Um, And I think it gets a bit too caught up in that of, like, you know, here's what BBC America will look like, this is what it's like, and it ends up being kind of a bit of a mishmash then, doesn't quite know what it's trying to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And also it's called Miracle Day when it's actually about nobody dying for what seems to be, like, weeks or months. (laughs) Um, Whereas, you know... um, Children of Earth feels very immediate. They make really good mm. use of that special format. They're like, well, this is a, a big event and it happens over five days of narrative time and you're going to watch it over five days of real time. Mm. 
And that felt like an amazing use of that format. I think it was mm-hmm. one of the many things that makes that really stand out. And then, yeah, you get, you get Miracle Day and it's just like, well, this is just a normal season of a weird sci-fi TV show where the title doesn't really describe what's going on. It's almost like its own Torchwood spin-off. Yes. Mm. Rather than Torchwood. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. yeah. And the question I have finally here for all of you is, does it work? Does Torchwood work? Mm, Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I'd concur with that, sometimes. I think think lots of bits of it work. I just don't think a lot of them work together. (laughs) No, seriously, season two of Torchwood, which there's some fantastic episodes that really seem to nail what the show could have been, like like Meat, you know, the one where there's a giant alien creature that you can just carve bits Mm. off it and eat it, and you're like, that is a weird concept and I can't imagine any other show really tackling it because it's a bit too gruesome for something that's more a children's show mm. but it's also like a bit too wacky for a really serious sci-fi show um, and Torchwood is kind of in that magic spot in between where they can do that idea and make something interesting out of it but they don't not every episode really nails that and there's you know and they make some really weird choices about the massive changes they make to the characters and some of those things are interesting, but then they're going on at the same time as all this other stuff. So, yeah, I think there's lots of bits of it that work, but I think that a lot of the time those bits don't quite mesh together. See, what you need to go is re-edit it together into separate Torchwood parallel universes. Ooh. Petra, you've been re-watching Torchwood. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think it works? Um, I quite... I, I really struggled with my feminist spidey sense in season one, of course, but the, I did like some of the moments where there was um, uh, homosexual relationships that were unapologetically just in there. I thought that was great. Definitely season two was probably better for me. Um, but, yeah, Children of Earth was definitely um, a nice experiment away from that format. Couldn't quite pull myself into season four, so uh, that, that's that. Well, I think that's uh, an overwhelming shrug from the panel. <laughs> <laughs> We couldn't leave it there. So Ben tracked down a guest just for the podcast who's rather more enthusiastic about the staff of Torchwood 3. He's a writer, broadcaster, theatre-goer and film lover who you may remember from Splendid Chaps, 10 Sex, but more likely as the host of the long-running 3 R radio program, Smart Arts. His first crush was on Sergeant Benton, but he's since decided he'd marry Captain Jack. It's Richard Watts. Hello, Richard. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm very well. We know that you are a tremendous fan of Torchwood, and particularly Captain Jack uh, is one of your favourite characters from the entire show of Doctor Who. Well, when he, the character of Captain Jack was introduced in 2005, he was such a breath of fresh air, having this morally ambiguous rogue as a hero character to begin with was fascinating uh, because even without his sexuality included in the equation, you have a time agent turned con man uh, who is nonetheless acting in a heroic way and we see the influence of the Doctor making people better. People become the best they can be around the Doctor and so you saw that with Captain Jack and then you added in his sexuality and he was this rich, fascinating character um, a very appropriate 21st century hero. You're on record as saying that you prefer him in his first appearance in Doctor Who, but then he comes back in Torchwood and he's he's a bit of a different character, isn't he? He's become darker uh, to suit the tone of Torchwood as opposed to the, the, the jollier Captain Jack that we see in Doctor Who. 
and given everything that the character goes through by the time we see him again in season one of Torchwood, that's hardly surprising. He's been killed by the Daleks. He's been resurrected by Rose. Then he's spent a hundred odd years or more living on Earth. We, we don't quite know how long for. Mm. And eventually working for Torchwood as a freelancer. So by the time we get to 21st century, everything changes, Captain Jack. He's definitely a different man, which I actually really like it. It's a sign of characters' age and change, whereas in some various uh, science fiction programs, you never really see the the impact of characters' actions and so forth. They they essentially stay the same character they have always been. That's not the case with Captain Jack, and certainly it's not the case with Torchwood as a whole. But what do you think of the other characters of Torchwood? How do they work as a, a group? I am very very fond of the 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 lineup that we have for Torchwood in Torchwood Season 1 and Season 2. Reducing that for Season 3 works as well because dramatic shift uh, in, in style. And so the characters of Gwen, Yanto, Tosh and Owen, I think I love the dynamic they have as a team. They're prickly, they're spiky, uh, they're clearly under enormous stress. And you see that played out in the the interpersonal dynamics of the show. Um, The fact that Gwen and Owen have a brief relationship, a a sexual relationship. It's clearly not an emotional relationship. They're using one another uh, as to comfort one another, or to comfort themselves, I should say. Um, So I think those character dynamics are really well drawn. I don't think the show really hits its stride until season two. It's in season two that dynamics are tighter, characters are more clearly drawn, the 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 overall style of the show just feels like it's finally clicked into focus, whereas in season one it's it's very hit and miss and very uneven in terms of its tone and style. So it's uh, a show being made by people who are working out what they're making as it goes on. Uh, and by the time we get to season two it hits its stride and the characters are uh, so beautifully drawn in the in the very first episode of season one when they're chasing the blowfish through the streets of Cardiff, complete with a little old lady at the traffic lights going bloody Torchwood. Uh, the the relationships between the four core characters have become tighter and more and strongly connected because Jack's not there, and then reinserting Jack into the equation shakes things up a little bit. And I love those characters and I love the dynamic. And, and that episode, I think. They just embrace the sort of silliness of it. But at the same time, they do want you to feel like it's gritty and serious and grim and dark and adult. Do you think that tone, you know, do you think they successfully blend those different tones together by season two? By season two, I think they do. In season one, the answer is clearly no, because the, the, the tonal shifts between everything changes and day one, for example, everything changes is murder and the rain and corpses being reanimated. And day two is alien sex gas. Those two episodes could be, really do feel like they're in completely different shows. But they are nonetheless the writers and the showrunner grappling with what it means to be making adult-oriented science fiction. And for all the jokes about alien sex gas and how silly that is, there's an enormous amount of humanity at play in that episode as well. Uh, the young woman who's possessed uh, by the alien sex gas. There's a, a real tenderness and, and and love for that character and I love the way that she's so well... She's a well-represented character in a not-necessarily-well-grounded episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's I mean it's that's interesting is that even in episodes like that where it does feel very silly and weird, there's there's bits that work, aren't there, in Torchwood. I think that's what kept us watching. Certainly something kept me watching after Cyberwoman. Um probably it was the promise that the pterodactyl might come back. I, I don't know. Um, but then there are some genuinely good episodes in the first season. Do you have a favourite from the first season? There's a couple of episodes in season one that I, I actually genuinely think mm. are really, really strong. The the fact that in one episode we're introduced to Captain Jack's ex-wife, for example. Oh, yeah. So we get an old love interest of Jack's who's now aged and we get a sense of what it must mean to be immortal. So mm. that emotional resonance I think is beautifully drawn in that episode. And the the fact that we get hints of what else Tor- Torchwood have done in the past and what else Jack has done, mm. so his time in India, for example. Mm. So the way they they flesh out kind of ideas and 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 characters in that episode, for example, um, we have an episode in which a serial killer is triggered to, to start going crazy when a, a, a member of Torchwood has gone. Again, the, the, the backstory here, we're getting hints of a dreadful relationship with a, with a dying father. Somebody who's come back from the grave essentially just to be able to have a final bitter moment with the father they hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, th- those kind of elements to the show, I think, were beautifully sketched because they reminded that that for all the, the the guns and aliens and science fiction trappings, this is a show about damaged human beings mm. and the damage that they then do in turn. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think it's interesting, I mean, you, you talked about finding about Jack's past and the, and the consequences of things he's done. In a way, Torchwood, I feel like it's kind of like the Deep Space Nine to Doctor Who's, you know, next generation in that it's, you know, it's not a travelling show. They don't go to one place and then another and then another and another like Doctor Who does or like Star Trek and Next Generation do. They stay in one place. And even Jack, who's, you know, presumably travelled widely around the world, is still only travelling around one planet, which for him is basically like staying in one place and one time frame as well. And he's very human. And I like the Doctor who does that and doesn't have those kind of long-lasting human relationships. Jack does because he craves them. You know, he's a, he's a creature of passions and, um, and love and sex. And so, yeah, he leaves all these relationships behind but he doesn't leave them behind anymore because he's still there and you see that also particularly you see it in children of earth um and a little bit in oh it doesn't do you don't you don't really see it in miracle day do you there's not because he's in america and he's away from we do see a, another of the great loves of his oh, life yeah we do have that flashback episode don't yeah. we? yeah which yeah. then culminates in a, the really disturbing idea of jack being stabbed again and again and again and again and again yeah um but uh, generally, the less said of Miracle Day, the better. It's, oh, you're not a fan I'm of Miracle Day? I'm not a Day. fan of Miracle Day. Tell us about that. I think partially because there's a real sense for me that... Because after Children of Earth, which is a masterpiece, mm. it really is. It's If you've never watched Torchwood, you could watch Children of Earth and, uh, and be thrilled and delighted and terrified and moved. And then you get to Miracle Day and there's a real sense for me that Miracle, that Miracle Day began as another five-part series and then when Stars got involved as a, as a co, co-production partner, it was fleshed out to ten episodes and it's not sustainable mm. at ten episodes. There are entire stretches that just feel so much like padding. Jack being poisoned on the plane, for example, and almost and the extended we-must-stop-Jack-from-dying from sequence, for example. 
it really drags out. And the entire story arc uh, of that season drags out for me. But then also the introduction of... American characters into the mix as well. Torchwood is a British show and, like Doctor Who, feels quintessentially British because of its references and its setting. I mean, it's set in Cardiff, for God's sake. Hmm. It doesn't need to move across to the USA because aliens come to Cardiff. It's not like Cardiff needs to go out and visit the rest of the world. So there are just various elements in Miracle Day that don't work for me and I I think it's unsuccessful. One thing I've always wondered about Children of Earth and Miracle Day both, is they both feel to me like they could, they didn't need to be Torchwood shows. Less so Miracle Day because it's so much about Jack. Although I have to say I wasn't a terrible fan of the the actual plot line. Um, it was interesting but a bit weird. Uh, but the um, the Children of Earth felt to me like it could have just been its own thing. Like you didn't need to be Torchwood, but they sort of won me over that the of the idea that Torchwood was was essential to it by the last couple of episodes where they bring in the whole thing about Jack's past involvement and his grandson and why his grandson was the important one. And But that's set up even in the, 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 the first episode or two with uh, the, the, the memory of alien abduction and the sniffing and the smell and, and mm. so forth. So um, it, it feels to me very much like a Torchwood episode and I love the fact that the government moved to destroy Torchwood uh, because they know their guilty secret is coming home to roost. Uh, and so they expunge Torchwood. And I think that's a bold idea for a TV series, which to date has been rooted in the hub under underneath the plaza to then suddenly blow up the hub and yeah. destroy everything we know about the show. We've killed off two of the main cast at the end of the previous season. Now we're killing Jack and Dynam and, and exploding the base. Mm. To then put so much risk on... Uh, the 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 narrative structure of the show in terms of audience identification and familiarity, you're taking away so much, and yet it still feels like Torchwood. Um, so then, when we get the the contact lenses that allow you to to mm. watch and communicate and and spy and report, for example, that feels like a maturing of the the gimmickry we saw in the very first episode of Torchwood with the the alien pheromone spray and the the scanning of books and the use of the of the resurrection gauntlet and so forth mm. the fact that though we know that they have alien tech we don't often see it used but so then when we do see it used in in children of earth it's a uh, as i said it's a maturation of early torchwood themes and i so i really like the adventurousness of children of earth coupled with the fact that it, it, to me, it does feel very much like Torchwood, albeit a Torchwood that's um, leaner and meaner. Yeah. I, one thing about Torchwood, it does have a lot of endings. You know, the end of the second season feels quite final because you lose two members of the team. It, it, they're kind of disbanded and then you bring them back together for Children of Earth and by the end of Children of Earth, you've killed off, you know, another member of Torchwood and Jack's like, I, I've had it with this, I'm off. And Gwen's like, well, there's nobody left, so I'm just going to go and live on the beach, um, which seems like a reasonable thing to do. Except she starts to rebuild Torchwood, uh, at least if you listen to the Big Finish audio, well, she this, does. This was where I was going to go, because like now there's all these spin-off audios, and I wonder, what are they doing? I mean, how do they bring back what has essentially been destroyed more, more and more uh, during the series? Because there isn't really, I mean, there isn't really a Torchwood in... Torchwood Miracle Day. I'm really enjoying the Torchwood audios from Big Finish. The The BBC audios previously had been a hit and miss. The, some of the first ones were fantastic. Mm. Um, the, the very first one, uh, which is 
in the in Switzerland in oh, the Large Hadron Collider. Collider. They made that for BBC Radio. Didn't yes, they? they did. Yeah. yeah, but for Big Finish, they've got some really talented writers. They've been adventurous in terms of going. We'll have a story arc that jumps back and forth across time. So some audios take place after the events of Miracle Day and Children of Earth, for example. Others take place previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also fleshing out secondary characters. Uh, there's one audio, for example, by Guy Adams, uh, more than this, which is Gwen trying to get permission from the planning officer at Cardiff City Council to rebuild the Torchwood base <laughs> and to try and convince him as to the need of it. She then takes him on a, a day in her life uh, and he has a horrible, horrible time. That's one of the things about Torchwood, isn't it? Even though they are supposed to be, what do they say? Outside, outside the, the government, beyond the police. Yeah, which doesn't describe them at all, basically. They, they, it, it feels most of the time like they have no sanction at all. <laughs> They're just running around with this name written on their van which is a terrible. Load at of at least they paint over that at, at, at some point yeah, in the series. It's black on black, at least. Like it's hard. Initially, to read. it's yellow on black. Yeah, there's a couple of episodes where you catch glimpses, and presumably, just at some point, whether it's Russell T. Davis or someone else in the production team has actually gone. That is a bit obvious for a, a secret organisation. But that's a big part of Torchwood, though, isn't it? Mixing the mundane with the fantastic, which is something that Doctor Who does as well. But I think Torchwood takes it to the next level because the Doctor doesn't usually have to deal with bureaucracy except at a very high level. Like, he might have to deal with the Prime Minister or the military or the United Nations, but he doesn't have to deal with, like, local council planning permits and he doesn't have to deal with, like, the local pizza delivery person, um, which just reminds me of the end of Cyberwoman again. It was oh, so awful. But it's, um, you know, it, that's a very Torchwood thing to have these very normal parts of life intruding on what is supposed to be a super secret high-tech, alien-fighting organisation who nonetheless leave their base unlocked and order pizza and go down the pub for a pint. You know, they, they really mix that normal life with this extraordinary stuff. They're everyday people, which is fascinating. And mm. so I think, yeah, the, the Big Finish audios, if people haven't listened to them and, and you are a Torchwood fan... They're a great starting off point. But I also, I've really enjoyed some of the novels as well that were, were being published over the years. Oh, yeah. I love watching a shared universe yeah. being created and evolved. I came to Doctor Who in the very early 70s. And so by the time I really started to get my head around it, as by the time I was 11, 12, 13, there's already this huge expansive universe. Mm. Uh, and so one of the delights for me with Torchwood has been watching a new shared universe with different writers and different producers and so forth contributing to that and watching the ripple effect as first the TV series and a second series of it, then a third and fourth series, but then the books, then the magazine, then audio and different uh, different series and producers of audio. It's been great fun. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's one of the things that's interesting about all of the spin-offs from Doctor Who is they're all set on Earth um, with some way for aliens to show up. Or, well, in Sarah Jane, there's no particular way. They just She just happens to find them because she's smart like that. Um, but there is that feeling that it's I think in some ways they build the universe more than Doctor Who does because Doctor Who's universe is so vast. It's so big that you can do a story set anywhere in time and space and it doesn't have to have anything to do with any other part of the Doctor Who universe. There's, I mean, and that's the genius of the conceit is that you can tell any kind of story you want because you can go anywhere in space and time to make it fit. Whereas if, in Torchwood, they don't time travel, they don't 
even leave Cardiff most of the time. So the more time you spend with them, the more that world becomes fleshed out, the more you understand. You know, and just thinking about all the stuff, it's so rich for things you could do on the audio. Like there's that one episode where we flash back to Jack's previous team. There's a whole team of Torchwood characters who we see for like, like not even a whole episode before they all die. I want to see more of the Victorian era Torchwood. There's a lesbian couple, there's a young black man. Uh, They're just so at odds with what we think of the Victorian age, but nonetheless, they are of that age as well. So, yeah, I want to to see that part of Torchwood mapped out. So if anybody from Big Finish is listening, please make this fan's dream come true. Yeah, do that and do a Paternoster gang show and then have them cross over because they're existing at the same time. And I reckon they would hate each other. They would, like, butt heads, but, like, probably in a... Well, Torchwood would want to take Madame Vastra and lock her up in the vault. She's yeah. a, a dangerous alien. That's true. And, she, and she'd just kill them with her swords. If we, if we had to sum up Torchwood and say, what is it, you know, what is it about? What is its central theme? Do you think, do you think we can come up with that? What do you think it is really about? That's a really interesting question and it's not one I'd considered before. I don't know if Torchwood has a central theme in some ways beyond perhaps acclimatising to future shock as it happens. Mm. Uh, because we live in a world in which the rapid impact of changing technology has changed our lives within such a short space of time. While I've been talking to you, I've been looking at uh, looking up details on my phone, for example. So I have a supercomputer in my pocket, um, which has changed the way I think about time. Because before I got said portable supercomputer phone, I would say to a friend, let's meet under the clocks at Flinders Street Station at 1.30pm. And now it's like, I'll text you and I'm on my way. And so suddenly my concept of time has changed because of this device. And in some ways, I think perhaps that's what Torchwood is about. It's about acclimatising to a changing world. And some of those changes are beneficial and some of them might seem threatening or frightening. Um, It's about an awareness of history and how history impacts on us as well, um, which is sometimes only possible with the benefit of hindsight, like Jack. But in the, the almost 50 years that I've lived the collapse of uh, the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, the impact of HIV AIDS, all these things that have happened. uh, And it's really only with the benefit of hindsight that you see history happening around you. And maybe that's one of the things that Torchwood is perhaps about in the big picture as well, is looking at how humanity changes because of the impact of time Mm. and, and culture. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. I think that's really true. No, um, I just made that up on the spot, so I could be completely wrong. No, it's good, though. I like it. I, I was thinking one of the big themes I think that comes back again and again is family in Torchwood. And in, in Doctor Who, I think some people do think of the TARDIS crew as like a family, but I think they're more like friends. I think it's it's very much, it's always about friendship with the Doctor unless it's about romance with, you know, like with Rose, for example. Whereas Torchwood feels like they're a bunch of desperate people who don't have, you know, their own family relationships don't really work out. They're a logical rather than a biological family to, to steal the Armistead Morpin phase, phrase. And I think, I think that's a big theme in it. And it comes, I mean, season two of Torchwood so much about family because, you, you know, there's the whole, you get Jack's backstory, you find out about his brother Grey, you have um, Captain John turning up who's, who's kind of, it's like his and Jack's relationship is very complicated and really who cares what it is if you get to watch those two guys snogging really um, but yeah there's so many themes of family that come back into it like even even the way that Tosh and Owen's relationship plays out is more like 
you know, cousins who have a crush on each other than a proper romance. Um, so I, I think I think there's a big theme of family in Torchwood, uh, which is something that keeps kind of, and, and you see it again, you know, in the later episodes, Jack's family becomes very important in, in, in Children of Earth. And similarly, uh, at the same time, you then have uh, Gwen trying to start a family. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, hoping that, you know, that the Torchwood, you know, family would become part of that, trying to bring that family together. And then, you know, half of them die and the other ones go off to other planets. And, yeah, it's it's interesting. Russell T. Davis himself has said that Torchwood is essentially, uh, it's about bisexuality as well. That that is interesting because it that's a that is a real theme. So many of the characters are not straight. Yeah, Tosh, uh, for example, in Greeks bearing gifts in season one as well has a, uh, a a a very intense relationship with a woman who, of course, turns out to be a murderous alien. But hey, them's the breaks. That's Torchwood for you. Uh, in uh, Children of Earth, the fact that Yanto's sister. And br- and brother-in-law, and I love the family dynamic in that episode as well. That's beautifully drawn. the 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 fact that Yanto is saying no, it's not men, it's just him, uh, which I think is a beautiful acknowledgement of the complicated continuum of human sexuality. That you're not falling in love with someone's gender, you're fa- falling in love with someone's personality. Yeah. And who could not fall in love with Jack's personality? It's pretty dynamic. What I'm curious about is the relationship and the dynamic between. Torchwood and Unit. Yes. Because Torchwood have been around since the Victorian age. Unit have been around since the 1960s slash the 1970s. Let's not get into the Unit dating... Uh, The the long-standing Slender Chaps position is that we do not comment on the Unit dating controversy. Thank you. Good. Moving on. But So I'd love to know about the, the relationship between... Torchwood and Unit in the 60s, 70s and 80s because Torchwood have been around for much longer than Unit. But also I love the fact that Torchwood are essentially clearly not very good at their job. They were set up to defend the Empire and by the 1970s the Empire was basically gone. All these different countries were becoming independent, republics leaving. And so you've got essentially Canada, Australia and the UK uh, and then... What, Gibraltar and the Falklands? <laughs> Is there a Torchwood base on the Falkland Islands? Inquiring minds want to know. Oh, but knows? clearly, Torchwood, for all their use of alien, scavenging alien tech to help the Empire, were kind of shit at their job, possibly because they were always fucking one another and mm-hmm. fighting mm-hmm. and not paying attention to the, to the big dramas around them in the world. And also, you know, how do they... Why are they not getting involved with things that Sarah Jane is in investigating. Is there so much stuff going on on the Earth, and particularly in the UK, that not only is the Doctor not always there, but the three other groups of people who are dealing with it, four if you you know include Unit as well. Uh, Five if you include countermeasures. Which oh, is yeah. The- Oh, God, I love countermeasures so much. Now I want to talk about countermeasures, but we can't. They've got to save that for an audio sh- series, I think. Audio podcast we'll have to do. <laughs> that, that sounds weird. Um, but a podcast about audios is what I'm saying. Um, but, yeah, because I love countermeasures. And uh, where, where, where they never run into each other. I mean, I understand that you can't have... You can't just have all these characters. But I, it'd be nice if they just made one... I just a big finish if you're listening. If you could do one Torchwood story, one countermeasure story, one unit story, and they all just like crash into each other, <laughs> that would be amazing. 
but probably terrible as well. This is one of the fun things about fandom is imagining possibility. And one of the things that I think has been done really well with Torchwood, both as a TV series and its spin-offs, is the filling in the gaps and mm. the expansion and imagination that, that's gone into it and continues to go into it. So there's lots of possibilities and I look forward to seeing it continue to grow and... I know, having spoken to John Barrowman uh, a couple of months ago, that he is in negotiations to try and bring the series back for TV. Wow. So he wants to, that he will, he's trying to get the right so he can produce it himself. So oh, wow. Torchwood is still alive in some refusing to, to, to die way. Yeah, much like Captain Jack himself. What's your favourite bit of Torchwood? Oh, there's too many. There's too okay. many. All right. Um, the... I love the the way they flesh out Yanto's backstory. So we discover how the goddamn pterodactyl yes. got into the Torchwood base, <laughs> which is just one of those wild ideas that they've thrown into the first season and they've never known quite what to do with and it's never really resolved. Yeah. And But the fact that they give us a, a bit of backstory for how that happened, I adore. One of the things that for me is my favourite part about Torchwood is just that it is so goddamn queer. Um, and it's still rare in contemporary science fiction and fantasy and mass media speculative fiction to have such an unabashedly queer show. And so that's one of the reasons I love it. But I, I, And I recognise that it has faults and flaws. Uh, I'm not so much of a one-eyed fan that I can't separate my love for the show from it's problematic episodes and weak scripts and like the story arc and the big bad in season one who just really seems to come from nowhere and Abaddon the Destroyer is here. So there's many flaws with Torchwood, but I adore it. I just, I like its, its adult, darker, grittier tone. Mm. Um, I love that it's unabashedly Welsh <laughs> uh, and it makes me want to go and visit Cardiff, which would never have happened before yeah. Torchwood came along. I, I did visit Cardiff uh, and I saw the shrine to Yanto Jones. It was still alive. I don't know if it's still there. I assume it is. It is. Yeah, it was, be- it was beautiful. I cried and I wasn't even a, that big a fan of the character, but I was sad when he died all the same. But uh, actually, I think this is worth it, just spending a couple more minutes on. The queer aspect of Torchwood obviously is, is huge um, because all the characters not just gay, but most of them bisexual or, in Jack's case, pansexual or however we want to define him, um, which is basically impossible to do, I think. And that is that is a big deal. The yearning, and that's the only word I can use to describe it, um, uh, in the episode Captain Jack Harkness when Jack meets the man who he is named after, and that kiss, which still mm. makes me kind of kind of giddy at the knees and, and swoon a little when I think about it. That is such a tender, sad, beautiful kiss. Mm. Um, I love that. I really do. Yeah. And I thought it was really... I, I think it was one of the best things about Torchwood was giving Jax this space to have relationships with men, which he, even though he was, you know, this omnisexual future being, made him... You know, he, he still had most of the people he was interested in were, in Doctor Who were women. But it's interesting that the Torchwood writers do often present him as more of a gay character than as a pansexual character mm. in Torchwood. Uh, his love interests for them, for example, Yanto, mm. um, uh, is the big central relationship. Captain John is the ex who turns up. So yeah. we see um, um, a, 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 an, 
and obviously he's been married and had kids, as we know from Children of Earth, but the, his big romantic foci in Torchwood are predominantly men. And it's, I would have liked to have seen more exploration of what it means to be pansexual, to be attracted to all genders, not just ma- the male-female binary, but beyond that. And maybe the writers struggled for a way to actually convey that because they clearly wanted to develop the relationship between Jack and Yanto and they didn't want to cheapen that by having Jack then shag everything that moves, uh, human, non-human and alien. Did you ever buy the whole Jack-Gwen thing? No, I didn't. It felt contrived. It felt like they needed to create... It felt essentially like a traditional um, fallback for them. They were going, we've got this out there lead, we've got all these challenging ideas about science fiction and aliens and and family and relationship in Cardiff. We need a familiar trope to to fall back on so that viewers can go, oh, unresolved sexual tension between Jack and Gwen, kind of, and that will be a sustaining thread that we can hang on to when everything else gets weird. I don't know if that was their rationale for, for it, but it, it just felt a little lazy and it definitely felt contrived. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I was glad that that fell by the wayside. Um, it, there's still elements of it in, in later seasons, for example, in season two, but it's no longer um, such a thing yeah. Uh, and and the chemistry between John Barrowman and Gareth David Lloyd as Jack and Yanto is beautiful. Yeah. And I never really felt that same chemistry between Barrowman and Eve Miles. Thank you again, Richard. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. You have been listening to Splendor Chaps. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendor Chaps, Dr. Joyney Baker, George Ivanoff and Richard Watts. Your hosts were Ben McKenzie, John Richards, and me, Petra Elliott. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. Find out more about Splendor Chaps Productions, including the original time travel comedy Night Terrace, at SplendorChaps.com or follow us as Splendor Chaps on Facebook and Twitter. There's more Splendor Chaps spin-off discussion coming up in part two of our mini-series where we'll talk all about the Sarah Jane adventures. But until then, thank you. It's good. Keep warm. Also available from Splendor Chaps Productions, Night Terrace, a sci-fi comedy audio series. To let, three-bedroom terrace house on a quiet street, fully furnished, reasonably priced. But this is no ordinary house. We travelled through time and space in a suburban house that's operated by the Taps. Is that what you meant? Explain yourselves. Anastasia. Dr Black. If you need a job done, you need to do it yourself. Sue. Sue? Sometimes blowing bad stuff up is the best you can hope for. Eddie. Mr Jones. I have no idea what's going on. I knew something wasn't right. We must be in a parallel universe. Cup of tea? We are omnipotent beings from a different plane of existence. Totally different. It's a super rare plane. You probably haven't heard of it. It's usually a bad sign when you rewrite your own history, yes? How much do you know about the uncertainty principle? I'm not sure. Oh, just ignore Eddie. He doesn't really get time travel. We haven't all spent decades working for a shadowy government agency saving the world. That much was obvious. 
Messing with time is a dangerous thing, Eddie. It appears the experiment has failed. It's a bit of a blur. Well, that was useless and a bit weird. It's just another ever-increasing spiral of comic misunderstandings. But on the other hand, neither Soon or I can do Welsh clog dancing. I regret showing you that now. To hear more, visit nightterrors.com. Because it's awesome.